Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post podcast. Here with Ian Tolick, writer for theleafsnation.com, who is also the host of the Leafs Geeks podcast, and on the other line that you'll hear from uh, in a moment here, Anthony Petrielli, writer for MaybelliefsHotStove.com, and the author of a very good weekly Leafs notebook. How's it going, Ian? We're, we're nice and cozy here. We're using one mic. Yeah, it's very intimate on the mic. Our, our mouths are very close right now. This is uh, it's, it's fun. We're having a good time here. But uh, I'm, I'm doing great. Thank you for uh, bringing me on today. It's really good. We talked, I think it was uh, a couple months ago, I brought you on uh, my podcast to talk about the season preview. And I love how wrong I was about Tampa Bay. I was worried that Vasilevsky might not be the goaltender that everyone thought he was. And it turns out he's having a great year. So what do I know? Yeah, that's sort of how things go, right? You make these predictions or these hunches and maybe you get like one out of 10, correct? I called the Leafs making the playoffs last year. So, I mean, I, I can always bank on that. But, I mean, I also called Columbus being a lottery team and they almost won the President's Trophy last year. So what do I know? Well, now we're about 40% into the season. A nice point to uh, talk about our favorite lines across the league, our the, what lines we think are the best across the NHL. I did this with Travis Yost of TSN last year, probably further into the season if I remember correctly, but nevertheless, 40% in. I think we have a good handle on uh, who's doing good work out there uh, on the forward line front. Um, so off the top, I think we need to get two lines out of the way. One in Tampa, one in St. Louis, two dominant lines. Uh, let's start with Tampa, the lightning uh, force. That is uh, Nemesnikov, Stamkos, and Kucherov. Uh, two of the game's top five most dangerous players, plus a pretty good third wheel of Nemesnikov. Uh, I mean, when you have Stamkos and Kucherov uh, on the ice and, and creating uh, such high-quality scoring chances all the time, uh, they have the these elite releases, elite shots. Uh, they can skate. They can play make. You're seeing it with Stamkos' assist totals this year that uh, by no means is he just a sniper. And if you think about all the different lines around the league, they this trio might be the scariest in transition. Uh, just coming up the ice full head of steam and the weapons that they have in their shots uh, really uh, make it just difficult for defenders to, to react. Um, and they have 19 goals at 5-on-5 five five right now, which is pretty damn good um 
And really, they've been the talk of the league, the league so far. It's pretty impressive. And the best part, if you're a Tampa Bay Lightning fan, anyways, um, is that uh, they still have Braden Point, they still have Yanni Gord, they still have Andre Palat, they have Tyler Johnson and Killorn. Like those are five other guys that you could have on the second and third line. They're not wasting all of their good players on the first line. They've got some depth there. So uh, that Tampa line is something. So is uh, St. Louis's Schwartz, Shen, and Tarasenko line which I should add is on hiatus right now. Um, maybe rest in peace. We'll see because uh, Jaden Schwartz is out for uh, six weeks. Um, but, uh, you know, let's still talk about them because that's a recent injury and they've had a lot of runway here to show us what they're all about. The thing that I notice right away with this line is that there's three shooters. Um, all three of them have at least 14 goals this season. And uh, the wealth is really being spread out, and you're seeing a revival of of Braden Shen and his game as a pass, or sorry, a, a shoot first center. Um, and obviously Schwartz is is really breaking out and opening a lot of people's eyes, uh, you know, the casual fans' eyes, because he was sort of a fancy stat darling or a hardcore fan darling before, but now he's actually a legit star to pretty much anyone who's paid, pays attention to hockey. Um, and then of course Tarasenko. So that, that, those two lines are ones to keep an eye on and moving forward. Uh, but Anthony, who I've I've really not let talk so far, let's start with you. Uh, aside from the Lightning and Blues lines that I've discussed, who tops your list? I think instinctively one of the lines that uh, most people seem to recognize is one of the best lines in the league, but they maybe don't get the love that they always should, is the Bergeron line with Marchand and Pasternak, and part of that's because Boston splits them up and doesn't pair them together all the time. As they try to, um, they've been dealing with a bunch of injuries, and they look for depth. Um, according to Left Wing Lock, like, they have seven goals for this year, and they haven't allowed a single one against. And that, to me, is uh, about as perfect a line as you can get in terms of, you know, Bergeron and Marchand are two-way studs. Pasternak's an elite sniper. Um, positionally, they're just always in the right spots. Uh, that's a line that I, I really look to just every single year is one of the best without question. Uh, I think a little bit lower on, on the, on the scale, but a line that's been really good this year so far that I've actually enjoyed watching quite a bit is, um, the Islanders have a nice little second line going with Andrew Ladd, uh, Barzell and, um, Jordan Everly. They've, uh, they've scored 13 goals this year. They've only allowed three against. Um, they're controlling almost 60% of play, and a large part of that, and he's starting to get a lot of recognition recently, is um, Barzell is just unbelievable with the puck, like his edges and his skating and his ability to just gain the zone and hold on to it and make plays, and you have a digger like Ladd and um, a finisher like Everly who's just uh, great with the puck on his stick in general. I think they're... Um, one of those lines that you wouldn't necessarily call a top line, but if you're looking for a really, really good second line, I, I think they kind of fit the bill. Um, Washington's kind of had this interesting experiment going on with um, Backstrom and Ovechkin playing with Tom Wilson, and that's kind of, that has allowed them to shift Oshie in with Kuznetsov, who coincidentally has also been a really good line with Jacob Brana there. But that Wilson-Backstrom-Ovechkin line, like they've scored 10, they've only allowed two. They're controlling like 50, 58% of play. I think, um, you know, Wilson has the bad reputation and he's earned it. 
in terms of disciplinary stuff, but um, he has some game when he wants to stay focused as your, like, you know, prototypical um, power forward with some skill that needs to walk the line that probably doesn't walk the line as well as he could. But he can play some hockey in, in the right role, and obviously Ovechkin and Backstrom are pretty much at the top end of, of lines every year, so I'm not going to say Wilson is the reason, but he's fitting in there, and, and they're producing and, and doing a good job. Um, one Another line kind of in that Bergeron mold, of I think most people recognize that they're a really good line, but they don't get talked enough talked about enough nationally is the Johansson line with Arvidsson and Forsberg, like they were so much fun in the playoffs last year. And when Johansson got hurt, like that was it for them. Like there's just, they were, they were not going to be Pittsburgh without him. And Johansson had a slow start this year. I think it took him like a month to score his first goal, like something insane like that. But um, like they've scored 13, they've only allowed six. They control over 55% of play. Like you can put them in any situation. Arvidsson's so good. Forsberg looks like he's taken another step this year. He's probably one of, you know, top five finishers in the league right now. Um, so I think of, of top lines. There you have, like, three really good top lines and um, a really good second line um, that I would point to just right away. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. You went on uh, a nice little rant. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's hard to disagree with a lot of those lines. Those are some of the best lines in hockey. Um, I like how you brought up the second line on the Islanders because, I mean, Eberle's looked great. And uh, what's the name of the, the the other guy that he's like one of the best rookies in hockey right now? I don't want Matt, Matt Barzell. Yeah, Barzell. Yeah, Eberle and Barzell are just making Peter Shirelli look really, really smart this year. And it's fantastic to see that line doing so well. Um, Calgary's second line is probably one of my other favorite lines in hockey, the 3M line with Matthew Kachuk, Michael Furley, Michael Backlund. I know they're a quote-unquote second line, but those guys have been dominating shot differentials, chance differentials. They've just been so good for the last two years. They don't have the goals this year. If you look at their goals for percentage, it's actually below 50%. But, I mean, once the luck comes around, I think you're going to see that that's one of the best lines in hockey. Another line that I feel like people aren't talking about just because of how awful the team is is the Barkov line and in Florida it's an amazing line and then they have nothing else so it that line is just dominant at driving shots dominant driving goals expected goals but when they're off the ice the team just gets killed so I think that's a pretty indicative of how much they're driving play but also of how poor the rest of the roster was built and that kind of happens when you give away Riley Smith and you know a 30 goal score for free well that's the thing is with with some of these teams they're they're overloading their front line almost by necessity. Some teams are doing it probably on purpose. Um, and, you know, you kind of see that in, in, in Philly where uh, they've beginning or they've begun to, to separate Voracek, Couturier, and, and Giroux by throwing Simmons in there. Mind you, Simmons is a very good player as well. But uh, there comes a point, you know, they were losing. They were on a 10-game losing streak. You, you got to switch things up and, and you know, fire up the, the line blender. So... Uh, I, 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 I'm on the inside with, with, uh, the Calgary 3M line, um, Goudreau, Monaghan and, and Furlan are scoring the goals right now. And Monaghan, uh, has been a delight to watch this season because he's always been a guy who's showed that he can score, that he can finish. And a lot of the goals are, or a lot of the shots are going in this, this season. So, um, and I mean, who doesn't love Johnny Goudreau? I'm going to go, uh. A little off the board just because uh, 
it, it features Josh Anderson of all people, but uh, the Artemi Panarin, Josh Anderson, Pierre Luc Dubois line. They've only played together about half the season, uh, but they've already been nicknamed the PB and J line, um, which in it, in its own right need, needs to be uh, uh, among the best in hockey, just just based on the name alone. Um, but but with Anderson, so he played for the London Knights, um, and he was a major midget player. Uh, for a while, and then they found him, and he was like five foot eight, just shot up to six feet. And even when he was with the Knights, though, he was buried uh, in their lineup at times because they they had such a stacked team. You know, Nemesnikov, Seth Griffith, which is uh, Ian's actual, uh, I believe it's his his My mature adopted son, his adopted yeah. son. Yeah. Um, they had uh, Bo Horvat, Max Domi. You go up and down the the lineup. They had you know Andreas Vasilevskiy, Chris Tierney. Some yeah, so my my whole point of, of that London team and, and the, the stack lineup is that Josh Anderson was just kind of another guy on that team. People thought, okay, you know, he's got good size. He, he, he has a good, you know, attitude. He's got decent skill. Uh, skating needs work. If he can, you know, keep up his skating, maybe he can make the NHL. Maybe he can do something here. I never in a million years, though, thought that he would be, you know, this lumbering puck hound that he is uh, for the Blue Jackets and that he's shown uh throughout the season as as an effective player and when you mix him and, and his sort of i guess puck retrieval and, and his fearlessness to go to the net mix that with with dubois who's kind of the forgotten child from the 2016 draft uh finally coming along after matthews and line had their their moment in the sun um and then panarin is obviously the driver of that line the guy who brings the puck over the line and really makes things happen he's He's by you know by by large uh, the the most skilled guy out of that trio. But when you add it all together and you watch these guys in action, uh, they really smother the other team and they they attack the net and they always seem to have two four checkers. Like they they're just they seem to be a lot to handle. And we'll see you know how long that that lasts because you know on paper it doesn't seem like a a line that would dominate but right now their expected goals are are around 60 percent Corsi is 66 so they've been just killing it in in terms of uh controlling the ice and and their penalty differential is a plus six so they're doing a lot right right now and uh small sample size but i like what i see and and the anderson development is is kind of nice to to watch the other interesting thing about that line is um Speaking of lines and that group, is Panarin really, when he broke into the league, most people thought he was really just a byproduct of Patrick Kane, who's another unbelievable player. But Panarin can play. Like, he's he's very, very good. And he's the, the main reason that line is as good as they are. I'm still a little on the fence about Dubois centering them. But I, I really like Anderson, as you noted. Like, he's, he's a beast. And Panarin's just unbelievable controlling the puck and um, you know, getting the puck to the dangerous areas. Like, it's one thing to control it, but he's just able to create something out of nothing just to, oh, al- almost all the time. Just to piggyback on the love for Panarin, the funny thing about that line is that they're dominant, over 60% shot differentials, they're elite, but the other line that Panarin's been on this year is also above 60% shot differentials. So, I mean, what's the independent variable there? Panarin's just amazing. You watch him play, he generates zone entries like crazy, I don't think it was a, a shock that, you know, Patrick Kane had a career year when he played with Panarin, and now he's not doing as well as he was before, just because I think Panarin is so good and really underrated. I know that trade for Brandon Saad, Brandon Saad's a great player, but 
I don't think it was a smart move for Chicago just because of how good Panarin is. That guy drives play. He generates offense. He generates controlled zone entries. He's everything you want in a star player these days. And at $6 million, I think he's making right now. He's so underpaid. I I love him. He's one of my favorite guys to watch in the NHL. And any line he plays on this year has just been dominant. It's one of the reasons Columbus is one of the best teams in hockey. So if he's so underpaid at $6 million, what would what would be a fair price for him? Right now? Pro- well, what's Tarasenko's making what? Like, he, he took a discount at like seven and a half. I feel like seven and a half like, is where he's, he's at. He's probably somewhere in the eight million range if he hits the open market. Okay. Um, he can probably ask for eight. The funny thing is, too, I don't want to get too off no, topic. Go ahead. Is like, um, like, Chicago finished first last year. Like, they had a bad playoffs, but like, they had a really good regular season. Like, just their entire offseason just seems so, like, knee jerk reaction. Like, why did they get rid of Jarmelson? Like, why? Like, Saad's a good player. Like, I wouldn't say that was a terrible trade. Um, it's not like, you know, Chicago got awful out of it. But, like, could Chicago have just kept their team together and been really good again this year? I feel like they could have. Yeah, like Connor Murphy for uh, Jalmerson was a bit of a head-scratcher. It hasn't really worked out for either team at this point. You know, you see what's going on in Arizona. But um, that one, it... it like, I would have understood if, if they got, like, you know, a first-rounder and Connor Murphy. It's like, okay, they're sort of reloading, but they just got a younger player. But Jalmerson's, you know, a, a cut above of Connor Murphy. I, I just – I remember it happening, and I'm like, where's the silver lining? You know, where's Chicago's, uh, you know, uh, play here? What what are they trying to accomplish? That, for me, was one of the worst trades of the offseason that no one talked about because they just traded their top-pairing defenseman for a guy who's, like, a number six defenseman in Connor Murphy, and he's getting healthy scratch pretty often in Chicago. It just made absolutely no sense. And Jalmerson's on a good contract. He's not on a, on a bad contract. He's making, I think, $4 million, $4.5 million. I don't have the page open right now, but... And Chicago was good last year. It wasn't like they were bad. They had a bad playoff. Like, it happens once in a while. Like, I know they've probably maybe just gotten a little drunk with success. Like, sometimes you just have a bad playoffs. Like, it, that actually does happen to teams. It's not a unique thing that happened to Chicago. They just, I, I don't really get what they were thinking. 4.1 million cap hit this year and next year. So, like, you have control of a top pairing guy who's like the modern day shutdown defenseman, kind of like a Chris Tanev, a Mark Edward Vlasic, a guy who isn't that great with the puck, but he's so good at denying zone entries, so good at taking away the front of the net. He's kind of what everyone thinks Roman Polak is, but he actually does drive results. He actually does play a safe game that benefits his team on the ice. A little dig at uh, Roman Polak for no reason from Ian. Sorry, it's, it's more, more of a dig at least management. I like Roman Polak, the human being. I just don't understand why they keep playing him. It drives me insane. We're going to get to uh, the Leafs in a minute here, but I'm curious. Let's reverse engineer this. What criteria did you guys use to come up with these best best lines? And I'll I'll start off a little bit. Obviously, you need production. Uh, you know whether it's goals, expected goals, shot attempts. I also look at penalty differential because if if you're an elite line but you're putting your team at a disadvantage a lot, I think that that's an asterisk or that's a big drawback. Um, and then I also factored in style and fit. So you know, are they are there two playmakers and a shooter? Is there two shooters and a playmaker? Um, is there a two-way guy down the middle and then two guys that are just totally offensive on the wings um, and how that all fits together. And, and you also have to factor in things like zone starts and, you know, what type of context we should all be viewing this in. So uh, I'm curious, Anthony, like when, when you were thinking about it, and there's a lot of sort of uh, eyeballing that, that that's involved here. And, and there's probably just 
us uh, being drawn to certain players. Like, for example, with with Philadelphia, although Simmons is a late add to that top line that that we've talked about, Voracek, um, Giroux, and, and Couturier, like I'm drawn to, to Wayne Simmons, so anytime I can talk about him, I'm going to talk about him. Uh, he's just a, a fantastic player and very fun to watch. Uh, Anthony, what was your criteria? Um, production, as you mentioned, but really the big thing for, for me is responsibility. Um, so that's why I made sure to note, like, for instance, that the, the Barzell line, like, they're a second line. Like, I'm not, like, I would never go into a game and be like, I'm going to match up this Barzell line against, like, Sid and see how it goes. Like, I just, I wouldn't put them in that category. But, like, those other lines I mentioned, like the Bergeron line, you'd play that line against any league or any line in the league, and uh, you wouldn't worry. Um, you know, um, the Backstrom line is a little iffy with Wilson, but I, I, I generally, I think Backstrom is that good that he could carry Ovechkin and Wilson in, in that sense. So he kind of, I gave him a little bit of a, um, a pass on that, but Kuznetsov does really actually handle a lot of the tough minutes for Washington. Um, but the Johansson line is another one that like, like how, how great is that to have your top line and then, you know, you're showing up and you're playing. Ryan gets laughed one day and, and, you know, Joe Thornton the next and who on and so forth. And you're just, you just go head to head. Like you don't even think about it as the coach. You're like, yeah, I'm just going to put my top guys against their top guys. And I'm going to expect my guys to win like that. That to me is like a real top line. And I, I think Philly has that too, in fairness. I just don't think they have the depth right yeah. now to handle it. And um, LA would be another one with Kopitar and Brown. And I follow that's been like just a really good line. And with Kopitar alone, you would basically just trust them against against anybody. And I'll just throw a quick plug in on this because it's kind of been like sure. on my chest. But when we talk about responsibility, I look at like Petro Angelo became like really, really productive the second Shattenkirk left because they started giving him more power play time. But I remember at the time when Shattenkirk was on the market and there were a lot of people saying like Shattenkirk, like he's the best defenseman on his own team. And like, that was just to me a perfect example of a guy who was like not getting like that really tough responsibility. And he was crushing it in the minutes he was getting and like, good for him. He is a good player, but like, like those comments to me, just like they baffle me. Like if, if you show up night in night out and you go up against the top lines and you do well, like that's, that's a real high end player to me. And it's tricky. Cause I feel like in the analytics community right now, mathematically, we don't really have a great way of accounting for that type of context. We have some ways of doing it. And it shows that, you know, players who are in fourth line minutes obviously have easy, you know, cake minutes where they can dominate against other fourth lines, but we don't really have a great way of adjusting for quality competition. That's one of the biggest debates in the community right now, but I totally agree when it comes to if a, if a guy can do well against other first lines, against other top pairings, that's when you know you've got a true legitimate first pairing or, or first line. But I, I find that it tends to get overrated at times because we tend to excuse poor results for just context. Like Rasmus Ristolainen is always the guy I come to where they say, oh, well, you know, he's, he's facing tough competition. And I go, well, other first lines are facing tough competition and they're not getting shelled when they're on the ice. So I think that's definitely something you have to take into account. But if you look at like Columbus's fourth line last year, they were dominant at driving shot differentials and chance differentials. It was Sam Gagne, Lucas Sedlak, and Scott Hartnell, I believe, was the fourth line. And they were dominant. But you put those guys against fourth lines, they're going to get... Sorry, you put those guys against first lines, they're going to get destroyed. They're going to get completely shelled. So that's why I find it so impressive when 
guys like Bergeron and, and Marche are able to go against top lines consistently and just dominate. They... Yeah, it's all like line matching and deployment, right? Like um, the the famous like line on like Russia every year at the Olympics or every four years at the Olympics is like they famously don't really line match. Like they don't like play, like they don't really believe in that kind of style of game. Like they have their five man units and. Um, like, I feel like every Olympics, we always hear, like, why didn't Russia do better? And, like, all the coaches here say it's because they don't line match. Now, let's uh, let's talk about the Leafs. Um, speaking of line matching, they're very difficult to uh, to go up against in regards to, you know, who's their t- true top line, especially when Matthews is out. It's like, you know, which of the second and third line, quote-unquote, is the one that you focus on? I'm going to start with Ian here. Ian, let's hear your optimal Leafs lineup because – uh, you know, we, we all three of us are from the GTA. We're all caught up in in, in the Leafs and 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 how it all goes down and how Babcock uh, has been has been changing the lines a lot this year. Um, I know you guys have opinions about it uh, and and who should be slotted where. Uh, I guess my first question to Ian would be: Are you a fan of overloading the first line, i.e., Matthews with uh, two offensive uh, players, or would you rather share the wealth? I guess my answer is a, a combination of both because I don't like seeing Matthews with Hyman and Brown. I feel like that's too, I guess passenger is a bit like rude of a word because Connor Brown can actually provide a little bit of offense, but I feel like he doesn't carry the load. I feel like he doesn't generate clean zone exits and zone entries and it's kind of Matthews doing everything. So I don't like seeing Matthews with two players like that, but I do think you can have one player like that on the line. I think we've seen like Pittsburgh can play Brian Rust with Evgeny Malkin and it's okay because Malkin will do most of the heavy lifting. If you put another score with him like Patrick Hornfist or Phil Kessel, it's going to be all right. But I feel like when you have only one skilled player on a line and then you have two puck retrievers, I feel like that doesn't work out too well. So I think the optimal lines for me, I mean, the Hyman-Matthews-Nylander line, like last year it was dominant, this year it was dominant. I don't know what Mike Babcock's doing with Nylander in the fourth line this year. I don't want to read too much into it. It's 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 gone on too long, in my opinion. I think you need to reunite those guys. I don't know if he's trying to teach him a lesson or try to improve his defensive game. But And we should mention, we're recording this on Thursday, and at this point in time, Matthews is is out with a suspected concussion. So, we're just talking more long-term, not like, you know, what's their lineup, what should their lineup be tomorrow? But, so would you have, you have Matthews and who else on that so line? So, Matthews, Hyman, Nylander, I just feel like you have to play those guys together, at least this year. I think next year I would move to Nylander at center. I feel like he can do that once you move on from Bozak. But while you have Bozak under contract, you might as well play him down the middle. So, I have Hyman, Matthews, Nylander. Uh, I actually like JVR, Bozak, Marner. I feel like they've been underrated this year because they've had a, they had a lot of r- really poor shooting luck earlier in the year. They were getting scored on a ton, and they weren't scoring too much. But if you looked at the shot differentials and the chance differentials, they were dominant. Literally any line Marner's been on this year has been excellent. Marner's had such a great year, but terrible shooting luck. What you want to see from a forward, are they generating chances? Are they driving the play the right way? I like to think of uh, Kadri that year in 2015-2016. He was dominant. He was driving play. He was driving chances. And he was shooting 2% for most of the year. It was just ridiculous. And then what happened the next year? He scored over 30 goals. He was dominant against other first lines despite playing with, you know, guys like Leo Komarov for most of the year. So I, I think what you have to look at is you look at the shots, you look at the chances, and that's exactly what Marner's doing. So I like the JVR Bozak Marner line. The one line for me that I think is the biggest concern this year, I know everyone's going to nitpick over the fourth line or nitpick over Roman Polak and. For what it's worth, I agree with those concerns, but I think the bigger concern for me has been the Kadri line because I think Kadri's great, and I think Marlowe's been phenomenal this year. I did not think he was going to look this good. I thought age 
was going to start to hit him, he'd regress a bit, and we'd start to regret paying him the $6 million they're paying him. But he's actually looked great. The biggest trouble for me is Komarov's just been awful this year. He hasn't been driving play like he normally does. He gets outshot when he's on the ice, outchanced. We know he doesn't provide offense at the best of times, but he's just been anemic offensively this year. He isn't providing anything. Uh, I think you need to get Komarov out of that top nine, in my opinion. So I don't know if you put Brown up there. I don't know if you put someone like Levo or Kapanen or Soshnikov up there. But in my opinion, you have to get Komarov off that Kadri line. And then you do with the fourth line what you will. I obviously have my ideal fourth line, which doesn't include Matt Martin. Which What does it include? Let's hear it. Well, I mean... It probably doesn't even include Dominic Moore because I don't. I think if the biggest fallacy this year has been that the fourth line is good, and I don't think it is because the fourth line has often had Nylander or Marner on it. When you look at the fourth line's results without those players, they're not good. They're getting destroyed in the shot differential battle, the expected goal differential battle, even the actual goal differential. If you just look at even strength plus minus, so I think that Moore has been not as good as people think he has been this year. I think the same with Martin. They just benefited from playing with great players. I'd like to see a fourth line of. Levo, Altonin, Kapanen, I feel like would be awesome, but I don't think we're going to see it. That's a lot to take in there, Anthony, but I hope you have uh, a rebuttal of sorts. Uh, um, to recap, you had Hyman, Matthews, Nylander, JVR, Bozak, Marner, and then uh, some sort of third line with uh, Kadri, Marlowe, and maybe Levo or whoever. Brown, Brown, Kapanen, someone good. And then you just heard his fourth line. Who would you have? Um... I wouldn't, uh, like, I would move things around a little bit. I would actually, I'd actually be quite interested in seeing Levo with Matthews for an extended period of time. I just, I think Levo is a good combination of, he works the walls really well and he has a little bit of finish. Like, he's a four checker. I think, um, you know, you wouldn't necessarily put them together for, like, 20 straight games because I think Levo still has those, like, dips once in a while where you need to, like, crack the lip. But I'd, I've always thought they would be a good combination, and once in a while we've seen it on the power play. I'd, he's Levo's a skilled player, and he can finish. Like he's someone you have to actively cover, and I just I don't think I feel Hyman like he's is. Like Zach Hyman in and the I, corners that can hurt them at times. I was just I feel like I, I feel Sorry, like he's Zach Ian? Hyman in the corners with an actual shot in the slot. I feel like he'd be perfect with Matthews. I just I didn't bring it up because I don't think you're ever going to see it because Matthews and Hyman have been together like Hyman's whole career basically. But I'd love to see Levo there. Yeah, and I, I think he's a great finisher. I do like Nylander and Matthews together. I, I would advocate Nylander at center for next season. Um, just based on the market and um, the options available, I think it would just make sense. But for for this season, I'd love to have them back together. and I'm sure they will be. Um, you know, Babcock is, uh, speaking of cracking the whip, he's cracking the whip on Nylander right now. And um, I'm sure he'll circle back to him on the first line and, um, him and Matthews will reunite, and they'll be awesome, and everyone will be like, why weren't they playing together the whole time? And we'll go through that whole story, but I'm sure they'll get back together. So I would, I'd like to see that as a line. I just think Levo brings a little bit more offensively, and it's not a knock against Hyman. I, I think sometimes, um, I'll just speak for myself, if, if I criticize Hyman in that position, that it's like I don't like him or I don't recognize what he brings. And I, I do. Like He's a good player. I like Hyman a lot. I would actually like to see him play with Kadri and – in that checking role, I think Hyman's one of their best defensive forwards. He's great at working the walls. He's great at cycling. And Naz kind of plays that game, too, where he wants to cycle the puck and um, slow the game down a little bit, which I think Hyman would mesh well with him in that sense. And I'd also like to see Hyman on his right side, on his proper side, instead of on the off wing. Like, he's not a talented guy. Like, he's, he's a true 
um, grit grinder, as they would say. Like, uh, and anytime he's gone on on his right side, I've I've just tried to keep an eye on him breaking out and um, the way he handles the puck. And to me, it looks night and day. Uh, I also I also like Marlowe with Kadri, and I think Marlowe's had a good season. So I'd probably um, put that as my like grind line with I a little bit of idea. skill. Um, I I agree about the Bozak line. Um, I do think they're soft defensively. I do think that they, as an entire line, take nights off. Um, and I, I would just keep them together. I, they'll score. They'll produce. Um, you can't trust them a lick defensively. If there's a defensive zone faceoff, forget about it. Um, you know, when it's the power play, they have one leg over the boards ready to go. They kind of are what they are, but, but they'll produce and, um, and I think they'll be fine by and large. So I would keep them and that would kind of leave my fourth line as, um, Komarov with Moore and Brown. And, um, I, I'll be honest and say, I, I like, I like Dominic Moore. Um, I, I think he plays at a good pace. He's a good veteran game. Um, I agree Leo struggled, but I also, I also have a hunch that they've told him to, um, you know, pace himself. Like, he doesn't launch himself into players like he used to. And part of that's he's getting older. But um, he did have a few, you know, seasons where he was getting injured consistently. And I just wonder if they've asked him to um, slow it down a little bit and get through the season and pick it up in the moments where it's necessary. Uh, and I, I see that as a combo of the sports science department, which we hear about a little bit, and um, and just Babcock's overall preference and knowing he's an older vet and how to handle him. I think when push comes to shove, you'll see Leo's still a good player and he can still bring it. I just, I don't know if they've asked him to slow it down. And um, I think Brown would be a great compliment to them. And obviously Brown's not a fourth liner, but um, the Leafs are deep. And that it kind of is what it is, right? Yeah, and uh, this conversation will probably be vastly different next year at this time, just because I think we can all agree that Bozak is probably not coming back. He hasn't exactly uh, shown himself well, and I don't know how much money there is for him. But James Van Riemsdyk is is sort of the X factor going in the offseason, assuming that they don't part ways with him at the deadline, which I don't think they will. Um, he's having a really good season, putting up good counting stats. Uh, he's he's become basically a 30-goal a, a scorer almost year after year. Uh, just quickly, as we let you go, Anthony, um, what do you think of JVR? Do, do do they do they re-sign him? Because now they actually have a little more wiggle room with the with the cap going up. Um, I think the tough thing is any sort of lengthy commitment. Um, but I'll also note that, um, and I know this like comes up all the time on like the forums and social media, and it's like, yeah, yeah, just get rid of JVR and like cap it, and I'll go in there. Um, JVR is a sixty-point player, like. He he has definite flaws with his games, and um, just like to the eye, he's a frustrating player to watch. But he's productive. Like that guy gets it done. He scores. He goes to the net. He's really good on the power play. I'm not even sure Babcock likes him to be honest, just based on his ice time and the kind of role he gives them. And even in the playoffs last year, he barely played him. But like that guy scores. Like he'll be a very tough player to replace in terms of production. But they might be able to balance their team a little bit better. Um, I, I just, I find it hard for them to be able to sign him and then worry about all the other contracts coming up and then also worry about improving the defense. And I'd also be very curious what their idea for Gardner is because, um, he's been good, but if, if he can demand like six, six mil plus, um, I'm not sure I love him at that, that number moving forward. 
not based on what he's done, but what I think he would do moving forward. Um, I'm also not 100% sure on, on if they're done with Bozak. I, I think Bozak will have a good second half. Um, he's always kind of showed well down the, the stretch, and um, in the two times they made the playoffs, I thought he's actually been good both times. And I just wonder, because um, they'll be in that situation again and potentially have a lengthy playoff run, if, if he slides in there with like a good final 25 games and a playoff run, and then they look at the center market and ask Bozak if he'd come back on a discount with like his family here and everything. I think the interesting thing that you brought up with JVR is just that he's, he tends to be, I think, underrated by the fan base, which is funny for a guy who's a perennial 30-goal scorer. But I think when you look at his numbers ever since Babcock was the coach, he's not getting outshot when he's on the ice. He's not getting out chance. This is a guy who drives play. Yes, he is sheltered. Yes, he's given more offensive zone usage, but a lot of star players are given that. I think if you compare it to the way that a fan base is really severely underrating a, a great offensive player, it reminds me of the way that Edmonton fans looked at Eberle last year. They said, oh, here's a guy who doesn't play in the defensive zone. You know, oh, he's having a low shooting percentage this year. He's not even giving us the offense. Get rid of him. And how's that working out for them this year? You know, I think they could really use some of those goals that he provides. So the thing with JVR, it's really tough because anytime you sign a 30-goal scoring winger into his 30s on a six, seven-year deal, you tend to regret it. Look at Andrew Ladd, look at Louis Erickson. It's, you know, those contracts do not look good right now. So obviously term is the biggest issue. Um, one interesting ar argument I've heard is that in theory, there's going to be a lockout in a couple of years. You're going to get a non-compliance buyout where you can free yourself of a bad contract. In theory, you could sign JVR to a contract now, get the next couple of years out of him, and then just buy him out to free yourself of the later years of that contract. I'm not sure if I'm 100% on board with that, but I think it's an interesting idea, and I think the idea that you can just easily replace JVR with Kapanen or Levo is kind of absurd, just because I, I don't think people realize how good JVR is at 5-on-5, five five, and I really don't think they realize he's one of the best players in the power play in the NHL. Like, when you look at the net front presences, who can generate chances and also generate assists, there's almost no one like him. He's a freak. That that Everly comparison's a good one. Um... But I'd also say, like, um, I don't know if he necessarily, like, drives play. Like, they get, like, really easy zone starts. Like, they get really easy matchups. Like, we have this, like, what, 6'3", 60-point, 30-goal-scoring winger, and, like, neither of us even considered playing him with Matthews, which, like, on paper you would think, like, that would make sense. But um, we know what his game is like. Too, I feel like, like he could play with Matthews, but honestly. like what he does is like very high end in terms of scoring. And you're right, like he's he's probably how many guys are better in front of the net than him on the power play? Like Wayne Simmons and like maybe Joe Pavelski. Yeah, I, I did this uh, feature on uh, guys who are very good at tipping pucks, deflecting pucks, and JVR was right up there when you consider across the league over the last uh, four or five years. It was guys you mentioned: Simmons, Pavelski, Anders Lee, uh, Chris Kreider. Randomly is very good at it. And, uh, you know, JVR was on it. He was consistently tipping pucks in. And you see it when you're watching games. Like, he'll f it's not even just tips. He's just in the crease and he, you know, top shelf over the goalie's shoulder. Um, Anthony, thank you for, for taking the time. And um, your Leafs notebook is a, is a weekly must read. Uh, how can people find your work? I guess, I guess, you know, getting your Twitter account might be a good, good head start. Yeah, the best way would uh, just be on Twitter, um, A. Petrielli. Um, I, you know, share all my stuff with other random little comments, um, that hopefully are also enjoyable. Oh, of course. <laughs> and Ian, how can people 
find you because you have the Leafs Geeks podcast and I've said this to you before, so I'm not just buttering you up because you're beside me, but you're very good. You're very articulate. You know exactly what you're talking about on that podcast. And I remember listening to it the first, for the first time. I'm like, who is this guy? Like, how good does, could this podcast be? Like, he's just some some random guy I've never heard of. And then I was blown away, and I've been listening to it since. So um, how can people listen to that and read your stuff? I'm blushing. Thank you so much. That's very <laughs> nice of you to say. But, um, yeah, no, I do the Leafs Geeks podcast. I try to put out an episode a week. I'm trying to do it a bit more often, trying to get five or six out a month just because I love talking about the Leafs. I feel like it's an exciting time now that the team's finally actually good. Hashtag actually good, in fact. Um, I write for theleafsnation.com, so you can find some of my work there. I haven't done much writing lately, but I'm, I mean to do more writing in the future. And you can follow me on Twitter at Regression. Uh, thanks for bringing me on, John. I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on, guys.